to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight, I just have a very simple title for our lesson. It's just called God's Word. God's Word. And our text, which we will read a little bit later, is Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And I want to read to you a story. It is humorous, but it illustrates a point. There was a young seminary graduate who was seeking to pastor his first church. So he sent his resume in, and the pulpit committee asked him to come in for an interview. And as the student and the committee gathered together, the chairman began to question him. He says, young man, do you know your Bible? He says, yes, sir, I know the Bible from front to back. Another one says, do you know the stories and the parables? He says, oh, yes, I know all the stories and the parables. Another one said, okay, then tell us one of the parables of Jesus. Let's say the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so he did. He says, the parable of the Good Samaritan goes like this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night, and he fell among stony ground, and the thorns rose up and choked him nearly half to death. He said, what shall I do? Then he said, I shall arise and go to my father's house. And he arose and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. The next day, Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by, and they carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of him. And as he was going through the eastern gate into the ark, he caught his hair in a limb and he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards he hungered and the ravens came and fed him. And the next day, the three wise men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, came and carried him down to Nineveh. And when he got down there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. He cried out, chunk her down, boys. And they said, how many times shall we chunk her down? Unto seven times? And he said, nay, unto 70 times seven. So they chunked her down 490 times. Then she burst asunder in their midst, and they picked up twelve baskets of her fragments. And they asked him, Lord, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? The pulpit committee sat there utterly speechless. Then the chairman said, folks, I think we ought to call and be our pastor. No, he's young, but he sure knows his Bible. (laughs) Anyway, I came across that story years ago. Just thought it was kind of funny. So tonight we're going to talk about why is God's word important and what should I do with God's word. So why is God's word important? And before we look into this, let me ask you, why do you think, well, let me ask, do you think God's word is important? So why? Why is God's word important? Because it's true. Okay. Okay, it's words to live by, which means it would have wisdom for us that affect everyday life in practical ways. Why else is it important? Basic instructions before leaving Earth. Uh, the acronym Bible. Basic, basic instructions before leaving Earth. Yeah. Because he talks to us through his word. All right. Why else is the Bible? Imp- it's the source of faith. All right. Yeah. You know, if we've got a relationship with God and he calls us to walk by faith and we receive for him from him by faith, his word is the source and the root and the ground of that faith. All right. Chris. Because his word is alive. All right. Carlton. It's his love letter to us. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it's not just a book of wisdom like John said, but it's personal communication. Like Pat said, that's how he talks to us. But it is not just, hey, straighten up and do right. 
here's your instructions, but it is a true love letter, okay? A, a relationship building letter. Yes, Lee? His word is truth, okay? Okay, it's a source of life. Okay, good. These are all good answers. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here that I have for you on your note sheet. And since we don't have a PowerPoint, I'll repeat it a couple of times so you can get it. But the first one is this is what Pat said. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through his word. And what I'm getting ready to say is true for any and every relationship, not just our relationship with God. So if you have any kind of problems with any relationship, here's some good advice, okay? The key to the health of any relationship is communication. And communication has two parts. What are those two parts? Talking and listening. Exactly, right? And uh, you want to keep those balanced as much as possible. But that's the key to any relationship, whether you're talking about a marriage relationship, a relationship between friends, family members, or whatever. But when we talk about our relationship with God, what do we call when we talk to God? Prayer. Prayer. How does God talk to us? Primarily through his word. Now, he can put impressions upon our spirit, which we have to discern and weigh according to his word. He can speak to our hearts or our minds, whichever way you want to look at it, by his Holy Spirit. But again, that needs to line up with his word. But the primary way that God interacts with us is through his word. So, I don't know if you ever thought it this way, but if we pray all the time and we don't spend much time in his word, that means we're just interested in talking, 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 and not listening. All right? And... Um, Relationships don't work very well when they're one-sided like that. All right. On your note sheet, a little sub-point underneath that, I've said this so many times, God wants to speak to you every day. I believe that with all my heart. God wants to speak to you every day. In fact, I would tell you that God is speaking to you every day. The question is, are you listening? Okay. Are you listening? And I think we've gotten probably, at least I have, So used to the idea that the creator of the universe wants to talk to us. It's amazing that the creator of the universe wants to talk to me and wants to talk to you. Okay? Why does he want to talk to us? To build relationship and to give direction. And that leads to the second question. What does he communicate to us? Okay? What did you say, Carlton? Okay, he communicates to us, I mean, the most basic is how to have life, how to have a relationship with him, all right? What else does he communicate to us? What? His love. love. It goes back to the idea of it being a love letter, his love for us, all right? What else does he do by speaking to us? What else does he try to communicate to us? What? Wisdom. Wisdom. Chris? Okay, if if it is... Beneficial for us in God's wisdom that we know what's coming up, he will show us. Yep. And Pat said wisdom, uh, knowledge. You got wisdom, you got knowledge, two different but related things. Okay. Knowledge is primarily facts and such. Wisdom is how to use it in a good way. All right. What other kind of things does God communicate to us? How to serve one another. All right. How about comfort and encouragement? Yeah. Did you have something to tell? That he loves us, yeah. 
The one that most people think that God most wants to communicate, I'm glad you didn't mention it first. In fact, none of you mentioned it, is that correction. We don't necessarily like that, but God will correct us. Okay? So God speaks to us through his word. That's why it's important. Another reason God's word is important is because God's word helps us grow. Helps us grow. Now, these ideas and thoughts overlap each other, but just wanted to point um, some things out specifically. So God's word helps us grow. Second Peter 3.18 tells us that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is done through a personal relationship. But again, one of the main ways that we grow in that relationship and just grow to maturity is through interaction with his word. Okay? Um, you know, we, we just know because it's the way life is that when a child is born, they need a lot of help. I mean, they can't basically do anything for themselves except make a lot of noise. And pass things through their system. We'll just leave it at there. Okay? They've got to be cleaned. They've got to be fed. They've got to be nurtured. They've got to be loved to develop properly. But our goal is that eventually they learn to grow and do things for themselves. If you have a 16-year-old who still can't clean themselves and feed themselves and dress themselves and all that kind of stuff, there's definitely a problem. I mean, we don't... Unless there's some major problem, that doesn't happen because we grow and mature and develop. Uh, but sometimes believers can get stuck. They stop growing. You know, um, God calls um, us to help each other. We'll talk more about that tonight. God calls pastors and other spiritual leaders and teachers to teach and preach God's word to help God's people grow. In fact, there's several scriptures that talk about that. But he still expects his people to learn how to feed themselves. Okay, And that's why we emphasize it's so important that our interaction with God's word is not just when we come to church. Even if we come every time the doors are open, okay, which a lot of people don't, but even if you do, you still need to learn how to feed yourself. One of the primary scriptures we looked at last week in our topic of, you know, can we trust the Bible, uh, was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman, I throw that in there, of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete means made perfect. Now, that's not going to happen fully in this life, but the idea is that we become more and more what God created us to be. We mature more and more. We grow more and more. And as we mentioned last week, this verse specifically tells us that God wants to use this word to affect what we believe and how we behave. You know, to reinforce and teach us the positive part and to correct us when we are going the wrong direction in what we believe or how we behave. Okay? The third reason why God's word is important is that God's word gives us direction. How many of you ever prayed and asked God what his will was for you? Probably all of us, right? Yeah. Do you realize that probably 95% of God's will for you is in his word? Because God's will is not just who am I supposed to marry, what career should I follow, should I move, where should I move to, things like that. In fact, I would say that God is much more concerned that you follow his will as a believer in the way he wants you to grow and develop as a Christian and the impact that that has on the people around you, your family, friends, coworkers, whatever, and what he wants to do 
with you in your in the world, which is all spelled out in God's word. He's more concerned about that than the details. Now he is concerned about the details. Okay, who you're going to marry or who you should marry, and you know what you'll do as an occupation. He does have a plan for you, but I would also say, and this is really important stuff to pass along to young people, especially that are seeking a lot more of those beginning of life things of you know what course of study should I you know what career and who should I be in relationship with and all that kind of stuff. And that is that the harder you work at doing the things you know God wants you to do, the stuff He's already spelled out in your work, the easier it is for Him to guide you into the specifics. Okay? Yes, Junan? That's right. God's Word gives us hope. Okay. And the fourth and last reason I have listed here is just these aren't all the reasons, but living God's Word leads to success. We like the word success, right? Yeah. I love this passage out of Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. Moses, okay, I got this is either Moses or God speaking. Forgive me for not having looked that up. Uh, because both of them said it to Joshua, okay? It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it. It just basically means it needs to be a part of you, Okay. Um, it actually has kind of the meaning that that's basically all you talk about, all right? Everything you talk about uh, is based on that. So, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So, living God's word leads to success, and that sounds fantastic, but what kind of success is God talking about here? What kind of success can we have by living according to God's word? What? We get wisdom, yes, but what kind of success? Financial success? Godly success? Lifestyle success? Okay. Victory in your life? Okay. You know, we would love to take that promise and say, well, if I just read the right things and that kind of stuff, then I'll be successful in my occupation and I'll be successful financially. I'll get rich. You know, I'll be all that kind of stuff. And can I tell you that God's word touches on all those areas and whatever area in which we apply his word, we will be much more successful than if we don't. But this is not a guarantee that you're going to be healthy, wealthy and wise. Okay, this is basically God telling us that in all the areas in which he has called you and created you to be a certain person, to do a certain thing. You will have tremendous success and way beyond your wildest dreams in those areas if you live according to God's word. But to live according to God's word, you've got to know God's word. Okay? All right. So whatever life God has for us, we can be tremendously successful. And that includes all those things that you guys mentioned about. Okay. So that really was kind of to lay the foundation. But I want to spend the rest of our time about what should I do with God's word? What should I do with God's word? In other words, how do we do that? You know, how do we take God's word? How do we integrate it into our life, you know, uh, to see all these things happen? And we're going to be taking a look at this guy named Ezra. And Ezra may be a, a guy that you're familiar with, or at least you recognize his name, but he is not one of the more well-known guys in the Bible. So this is more of a trivia thing, so if you don't know the answer, don't feel bad. But who was Ezra? He was a scribe, which means he was someone who was involved with God's word, primarily copying it, studying it, that kind of thing. What else do we know about Ezra? Anybody? He became an architect. He did. Are you thinking of Ezra or Nehemiah? 
Okay. I was just wondering, because Nehemiah was the one that's primarily involved in rebuilding the wall and all that kind of stuff, but Ezra did help out. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Ezra and Nehemiah were in a very similar time frame. Okay. Um, one came before the other, but they did overlap. They did work together for a while. Anything else you know about Ezra? He led one of the major groups that left captivity. God's people had been taken into captivity because of their disobedience, and they were there for a good long while. But God never gives up on his people. And they repented, and so he says, you get to go back home from the Babylonian Empire. And he was one of the ones who led a group back to um, their homeland. Okay, um, He was also a teacher of God's work a teacher of God's word, and he has helped them to stay on track. In Ezra chapter 7, the verse we're going to focus on in verse 10, but I want to jump up to verse 6 because it gives a little bit of a description of Ezra. And it says, Ezra was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. So what this is referring to, Ezra is back in Babylon, and the king says, okay, y'all can go back home. And Ezra, God laid on Ezra's heart that he was to lead a group, all right? And so he got the group together, and he just says, well, I'm going to ask the king for provisions and everything. And so he asked him for provisions and all that kind of stuff, and the, God said the king gave him all the provisions, all right? And the king also said that a bunch of stuff that had been taken from the Israelites when they were taken into captivity, he says, Ezra, you can take it back. You know, some of the gold and silver items from the temple and all that kind of stuff. There's a little interesting side story there because they're like, we're going to be crossing hundreds of miles of desert and bandit-infested territory, and we got all this valuable stuff with us. And they said, well, we've told the king we trust God, so how can we go and ask him for guards? So we're just going to pray about it. And so they prayed about it, and God protected them uh, all the way back home. So... Anyway, um, the king, he had favor with the king. And so the thing is that even though Ezra was a scribe and a teacher, he's a great example even for people that aren't a teacher or a leader. All right, And we get to Ezra 7 verse 10. And this is a very special verse to me um, because this is a verse that God kind of laid on my heart as, as being... Have you ever heard of the concept of having a life verse? Okay, I had heard of it years and years ago, and I thought, I don't understand. I don't know what that is. I don't understand it. Somebody said, well, basically, it's when you find a verse in the Bible that you can just really, really relate to, and you and, and, and it just kind of cements in you for whatever reason. It may be a promise or whatever. And I thought, well, I've never had a verse do that for me. And then it wasn't too long afterwards, I was reading the book of Ezra, and I read this verse, and I thought, oh, my goodness, there it is. And so ever since then, this verse has been extra special to me. And it's because it, I, I just feel like this is what I have a passion about. But it says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So basically it says that, that Ezra had just set his heart, I'm going to study God's word. I'm going to figure out what it means and how it should be applied. I'm going to apply it myself and then I'm going to teach other people to do it too. And that's kind of the passion that God has given me. But it says that he set his heart to study the law of the Lord. What do we often think of when we think of the law of the Lord? Commandments, yeah, right? Ten commandments. Or maybe some of the other 600, and I think it's 614 different commandments God gave. And it certainly includes that. 
But you need to understand that that's not what Jewish people think of when they think of the law of the Lord, because that's not the totality of what it means. Okay, In the Bible, when it talks about the law of the Lord, perhaps you've heard this phrase, that the Hebrew word is Torah, or Torah. Some people pronounce it differently. Okay, And that literally means instruction, direction, teachings, and law. So basically it means anything that God communicates to his people. All right? All right. So as we look at Ezra's example here, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, to teach his statutes and, to, and rules in Israel. We answer the second question, what should I do with God's word? So if we follow Ezra's example, what should we do with God's word? And the first one is this, determine to make God's word a priority. Determine to make God's word a priority. We look at the verse here, it'd be so easy to say, oh, we need to study God's word. We need to do that. But that's not the first thing he did. It says he set his heart. What does that communicate? What, what do you think of when you hear that? It says Ezra set his heart. What do you think a person is doing when they set their heart to something? Lynn. Okay. So setting your heart on it to summarize and just give at least a little bit of what you said is that it's not just a surface thing. It affects your whole life. It comes from your heart. Your heart is involved in it, okay? Any other thoughts that come to mind when you think of setting your heart to something? Linda? It's a determination. I'm going to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chris, did you have something to add to that? Okay. If you're a poker player, which I'm sure nobody in here has ever done, anything like that. It's known as going all in. Okay, it's a complete dedication. It's, 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 it, yeah, it's, it's the idea of I'm going to do this, all right? And I'm going to do it with all of me, from my heart, all right? Um, it means to set up, to prepare, to make firm, to establish from your heart, your mind, your inner person, okay? How much emotion does it take to do that? All? Our emotions get involved. Okay, so how much emotion do you have to have to determine you're going to do something? Everybody says everything. See, I'm looking for the opposite answer. You don't have to have any emotion to make a decision. And, and the, but your emotion gets involved. And if you're firmly committing something, the chances are your emotion is involved. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's not dependent on whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to do this thing. In fact, if you're really going to follow through, you have to have the determination. Otherwise, you won't because if, when you don't feel like it, you won't do it. All right. And I think that that's, that's part of the struggle that some believers have interacting with God's word is that they only do it if they feel like it. You know, um, when it's, it, that's not what it is. It's a commitment. It's a determination. I'm setting my heart. I'm going to get to know God. I'm going to get to know his word. I'm going to apply it to my life. And that's why I said the first point isn't so much you need to read God's word or study God's word or meditate on God's word. All those things are important. But you're going to determine to make it a priority. That's what Ezra did. It says he set his heart. Okay? But let me ask you this. Why is it such a struggle for many, maybe even most Christians to really get into God's word? Because life happens, right? I mean, it's just like anything else that we know is important and we don't follow through on it. 
because of the unexpected, because of the overwhelming amount of other things. All right. Why else do you think, and there can be different reasons for different people, that people struggle to get into God's word? Priorities is not made a priority, right? You know, sometimes, well, I just don't have the time. We always have time for what's most important to us. Yeah. Okay, what other reasons? Carlton. Okay, so we fight the flesh, right? Yeah. And you didn't say this part, but it goes to it. We know that when we deal with God's word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to raise some things up. You know, the flesh is going to raise up against that. All right. Yeah. All right. Why else do we struggle sometimes, Amanda? Lack of patience? Yes. Yeah. The results and the benefits you don't necessarily see right away, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a really great um, uh, comparison you can make. You know, if you decide you want to become a brain surgeon, okay, can you just decide to do that and apply yourself and then three weeks later start practicing? No, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to be a long time before you're trusted with a scalpel and somebody laying there on the um, gurney, right? Um, so you don't see the results right away. And the same thing is true for a lot of the results that we see coming from God's Word. It, you have to have patience. You have to keep at it. you got to work hard before you see the full results. Tim? Um, we try to avoid it. All right, so sometimes we try to avoid it, when we, especially in the areas where it convicts us. Lynn, you had your hand up. That's right. that's right. And that's the other part. We're talking about this war with the flesh, but the flesh isn't the only one we're fighting against. We have an enemy, and he is doing everything he can to keep us from, uh, from interacting with God's word. Okay, Pat. Okay, when you struggle to understand it. Okay. How many of you have gotten all excited about reading the Bible through and you started in Genesis and it's like, oh, I recognize a lot of these stories. This is really cool, blah, 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 blah. You get into Exodus and God has delivered his people, but there's a bunch of laws stuck in there, so I'm going to struggle through. And then you get to Leviticus. And it's like, forget reading the Bible all the way through. Although there is some great gold in Leviticus, if you will mind for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, numbers is also kind of a mixture of stories with numbers. <laughs> yeah, Carlton. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. It is work. And that, that's another thing is, you know, basically we're lazy, right? In our flesh. And it takes some work to really dig from God's word. But it's just like anything else that um, is important to us but requires work, whether you're involved in athletics, you know, some kind of sport or your occupation or a musical instrument or any other kind of discipline or course of study, you've got to apply yourself. Okay, and again, you got to use patience, and it's going to take some while before you start really reaping the full benefit of it. Okay, all right, and then I think sometimes it's because we're looking at it wrong, and that can be because of the enemy. We think of it as a duty or a chore, you know, and it's like when you think of something as a duty or a chore, there's just something in us that's like, I don't want to do it. If we can change our attitude, that can happen. All right, but that's exactly why we've got to determine to make God's word a priority. All right, because it takes time and it's a lifelong process. You know, I've been learning for over 50 years and I still got more stuff, you know, that I've got to learn. And I learn new stuff. That doesn't mean that God creates new revelation, it's just He opens our eyes to see more of His revelation as we go along. Okay? 
All right. The second thing, then, is the one that we would more likely jump to, and that is we need to learn God's Word. We learn God's Word. The word study has been used a couple of times, um, and for some people that's a difficulty because study has a negative connotation. What are some of the negative connotations to the word study? It's hard. We think of school. How many of you loved school? A couple of you, right? How many of you were, can't, couldn't stand school? Most people had a mixture, right? School. You know, you think of school and you think of textbooks and exams and papers and projects. And some of you are saying, no, I didn't. I thought of relationships. <laughs> that might have been part of the problem. But anyway, um, uncomfortable desks mean teachers. But we need to get away from those kind of connotations of studying. Studying basically means to learn, you know. All of us have areas where we love to learn, right? Yeah, I mean, there's certain things we don't want to study for nothing. But then we get interested in something, and we're reading books, and we're reading magazines, and we're watching YouTube videos, and we're watching TV shows, and we're talking to people because we're really, really interested. We just need to pray that God will put that same passion in us for his word, to learn his word. Okay, Um, because you know what? If you're really interested in something, it may be difficult and hard to study it, but that's okay. You're willing to pay the price because you're so interested. Yes. Yeah, that's a practical thing is getting a study Bible because that can help you, especially with the areas you have a hard time understanding. Yes, Bert. That's right. So does that mean that only people who are called to it need to study God's word? I know. I, I just playing the devil as advocate. I know that's not what you're saying. So some people are called to it more than others because that's their responsibility, like a pastor or a teacher or whatever. But that doesn't negate the fact that God wants us all to relate to him through his word. Yeah. I know you weren't making that point. I was just doing like I always do and giving you a hard time. So I've used this passage many times, but I love the testimony of the Bereans. We find it in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. The Bereans were the people who lived in Berea. That's why they're called Bereans, Okay. Paul was chased out of Thessalonica. You know, every place Paul went, there was either a revival or a riot, and most often there were both. And uh, people got saved, so there was a revival, but people got mad, so there's a riot. And he got chased out of Thessalonica, and he went to Berea. And it says, now these Jews, the ones in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. He's talking about the gospel. Paul was taking the Old Testament and explaining how it was all fulfilled in Jesus. And it says the people in Berea, okay, they were eager to hear this. But they weren't gullible. They searched the scriptures for themselves. They were from Missouri, that's right. They show me say, how many of you are gullible? Nobody wants to raise their hand. How many of you are hard-headed? Nobody else wants to raise their hand, Right? The balance is somewhere in between. You don't want to be gullible, but you don't want to say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to learn anything new. Just automatically reject whatever comes your way. These people accepted Paul, and that's the attitude we should have with God's word. And when we hear God's word taught and preached, be open, eager to learn something new, something fresh, or something old applied in a new, fresh way, but don't be gullible. There's too many false teachers and twisted whatever out there, but don't be so hearted to think, well, I already know it all, you know, or I can't learn from you or whatever, okay? And that's what we see here in the Bereans. So we need to learn God's word. Our goal is to understand what God is saying. 
And it's amazing that what God communicated thousands of years ago still has application to our lives today. Okay? Now, we can and should do this on our own, but we also do it with each other, right? I mean, that's what we're doing tonight. That's what the ladies do when they meet on Tuesday and the men on Thursday. They discuss God's Word. That's what we do when we just have a conversation with a friend about God's Word. All right? The third thing is live God's Word. Live God's Word. It says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. To do it. Basically means I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. Going to accomplish it. Going to complete it. And we got lots of teaching about that. You know, James said in James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Jesus wrapped up his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house on the rock. I mean, it says the man who built his house on the sand, he heard the words, but he didn't do them. You know, we can go to church again every time the doors are open and we can listen and learn, whatever. but if we don't apply it, It'll be worthless, okay? And the fourth one is share God's word. Share God's word. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, he did it in an official capacity as a leader, as a teacher, um, and as a scholar sharing what he's learned. But this is true not just of those who are in official ministry positions. God wants to use every single one of us, okay? Two areas, there's more than that, but I put them on your note sheet. The first one is to explain your faith. To explain your faith. Faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So how much do you need to know to explain your faith? To do what Peter's saying. Hmm? What'd you say? I'm sorry, Amanda, you talk so soft. You have to know yourself and know what God has done for yourself, right? Now, it's always good to learn and grow and learn more and more about the scriptures that explain salvation, all that kind of stuff. In fact, we all should be doing that. But you don't have to wait until you reach a certain level of education before you start sharing with people what Jesus has done for you. I mean, if nothing else, you can say, you know what? I don't know all the details and stuff, but Jesus has so changed my life. Let me tell you what he's done for me, and then I'll take you to meet a friend of mine who can explain it better. You know, until you can. In other words, you don't have to wait a certain amount of time or until you learn certain things to be able to share or to explain your faith. Okay. Yes, Carlton. That's right. The simplest definition of sharing the gospel is, you know, one beggar sharing with another where to, where to find bread. Personal yeah, personal testimony. You know, I like the testimony of the, the man born blind in John chapter 9, and Jesus healed him, and he wasn't even sure who Jesus was. And the religious leaders were saying, well, he can't be from God. Blah, blah. And he said, well, well he's of God. I don't know. This thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. You know? Yeah, Chris. That is true, and it's sad. There's such a low percentage amount of people, a percentage of people who claim to be Christians who ever actually try to share their faith in any way, shape, or form. The second bullet point underneath that is to encourage and help others. So we share God's word to share, explain our faith, but also to encourage and help others. You know, God wants to use you. When you lose, learn something new, share it with somebody. It's one of the reasons why on Wednesday night when we have time for testimonies, I don't just say, do you have a testimony? I said, does anybody have a testimony or a word of encouragement that God has given you? It may just be an insight to a scripture that he gave you. And it's like, wow, I just learned this or 
applied it or whatever. I just want to share it with others. And again, not just on Wednesday nights, but um, anytime you're able to have that influence with somebody else. Okay? So we need to determine to learn, learn, live, and share God's word and then do it. Okay? Um, in fact, that's the last thing on your note sheet. We're not quite done yet, but determine to prioritize learning, living, and sharing God's word and then just do it. Now, I want to finish up by just giving you some practical advice, and we don't have a lot of time. We could do a whole, a whole study on these, but um, there may be some of you that are sitting here or maybe people that are listening to the recording of this at any point in time. It's like, okay, well, that's all very well and good, but how do I get started? I mean, we've joked about reading the Bible from the beginning and getting to Leviticus and wanting to quit. You know, what are some practical things that we can do to get into God's Word, Okay. First of all, use a translation you can understand. Okay? I know a lot of people, especially a lot of older people, not old people, we don't have any old people, but older, more traditional people love the King James Version. And the King James Version is a good translation. Okay? You will never hear me talking bad about the King James Translation. But there are some people who say, well, King James Translation is the only one. And that's not true either. I had a lady in my church in Memphis that felt that way. And one day she came to me. She says, Pastor, when are you going to start preaching from the real Bible? I said... <laughs> And I said, well, when I, if I start preaching from the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek, nobody will understand me. <laughs> and she was, we, we had a great relationship. We would joke all the time. But anyway, so use a translation you can understand. Ask God for help to understand his word. He's trying to communicate to you. Ask him for some help. Okay? Start with the passages you can understand. This is especially true for new believers. Don't tell a new believer to start reading Leviticus. Okay? Read one of the Gospels. Read James. Read the Psalms, read Acts, but don't just limit yourself to stuff that you easily understand. As you grow, read the more difficult things. And what Veronica said earlier um, is a great piece of advice. Get a study Bible, okay, Um, because the study Bible will help you with the ones that you're struggling to understand. Be consistent and try to read every day, and you're not going to get the same result every day. You're not going to find it easy every day. You know, we, none of us have a hard time eating every day. Well, most of us don't anyway. But not all the meals are the same, right? Some meals we absolutely love, and other ones it's like, okay, well, at least I ate something that nourished me. And sometimes dealing or interacting with God's Word is that way, okay? But I will tell you that the more you're open and you're praying and you're really paying attention, the more you will get out of it, okay? So um, be consistent. Try to get into God's Word every day. Read for quality, not quantity. What do I mean by that? It's a great goal to say, I want to read through the Bible in, the, in a year. And that is actually very easy to do if you're a, a decent reader. Not even, you don't even have to be a good reader, just a decent reader. You have to read about three to four chapters a day to read through the whole Bible in the year. Now, some people really struggle with reading. Now, nowadays, you can listen to it. But if you set that as your goal and you just rush through it and you don't get anything out of it, it hasn't done you as much good. So go for quality. The best thing is to do both. Try to get some... Good breadth in there, but also some depth, okay? Um, Meditate on what you read. That means just think about it. Uh, I came up with three questions years ago. I should have put it on your note sheet. I'm sorry I didn't. You know, when you're reading a passage of Scripture, say, what does God want me to know? You know, what does God want me to do? And how does God want me to change? Just those three questions, Applied to any passage of Scripture. You read the Scripture. Okay, what does God want me to know and learn from this mentally, you know, informationally-wise? How maybe 
you know, what does God want me to do? Is there something he tells me I should do or shouldn't do? And how does God want me to change? Which is similar to the do, but it involves more of a change rather than action. Okay, a character thing. All right? And, of course, the last thing is put into practice what you do. And can I tell you that it's been proven, I've seen it true in my life, and you probably have too, that the more you obey God's word, the more you'll understand it. Like, it shouldn't be connected, but it really is. It's a spiritual principle. The more you try to follow God's word, the more understanding he will give you. So as we wrap this up, we'll say when we started, no relationship can grow strong and healthy without communication. And the same thing is true for our relationship with God. So we need to get into his word. Not because we feel like we have to, but because we want to. We want to hear from him. Okay? All right. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together tonight to once again take a look at your word and the impact of your word on our lives. I pray that you take what we learned to encourage and motivate us to interact with your word as we should, even when we don't feel like it, Lord God. But also you help us to use what we learned tonight to very practically share this with others that we may know that may be struggling getting involved with your word. And Father, I pray that as we do it, that you would just open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, as, as your verse says in Psalm 119. And God, we just thank you and praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.